Hey, welcome to Manalyzing, where men talk about the kind of stuff that we just don't talk about, and where no man is an island. So we have the highly talented Robert Snow. Thank you very much. So uh, you are a man of many talents. At least a couple. At least a couple. Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, that sounds like maybe you could be a home inspector like me. I mean, I maybe if I learned a little bit more. So you uh, you are a pilot. I do have my pilot certificate, yes. You are a PT. I have my doctor degree in physical therapy. You are a business owner, I believe. Yep, on a couple of businesses. You are a navigator on our Marysville slash wherever trips. I love doing that. That's that get your friends together and have fun. And you are the uh, the man who has the world famous quote of uh, the conversation changes when we're in Marysville. Conversation does change when you're on vacation, even when when the pressing matters of life change and you get to have conversations with your friends. It changes. It changes. As opposed to a couple of the other people that I've interviewed thus far, you are you are on the uh, inner circle of my friends list. I cultivate really good friends. And like most of us, our inner circle is important to us, right? And when they call, we answer the call. And I just I didn't have much of an inner circle. And you and I are inner circle, but even even the closest of circles, if you know you you're going to hesitate before you go well i slipped on the ice and i broke the cabinet and now my mother-in-law thinks i'm abusive doesn't matter how close the friends that are they are you hesitate well yeah i mean if i told even when i hear you say that story i, I asked myself i'm like sure is that the whole story robert like <laughs> my mother-in-law thinks i'm abusive because i did that like i don't know you know um what do you mean no, I mean, when I hear you tell me that story, you're like, my mother-in-law thinks I'm abusive because I broke the cabinet. I'm thinking, like, buddy, there's got to be something else that your mother-in-law thinks you're abusive for, right? Like, I, I wonder if I'm hearing the whole story. Yeah. And so maybe that was it. Maybe it was the fact that maybe the, if I was worried that I had done something else. And, you know. You were doubting yourself. Uh-huh. Well, I thought for sure that it was me. And you know what? In, in all of that, I adjusted the way I looked at my temper. So while it was really tough at the time, I said to myself, you know what? You need to get a, you need to get a hold of your temper. You need to get a hold of the situation. You don't get to fly off the handle anymore because people are taking it the wrong way. They're perceiving that you're the person that you don't want to be perceived as. So it created a shift in me, a negative shift, but uh -huh. it created a shift in me in that situation that where I tried to, you know, not get that way. Now, am I super great at being the most mellow Zen person on the planet? Absolutely not. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate for this one. I'm Go going to play advocate for your mother-in-law. Okay. What if she saw somebody who lost control and saw anger and said, my precious daughter is going to be next. Would that be justification for what she did? Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's when I say I, I look at her perspective and she was she, she had a couple of things going on. We didn't get along. Uh -huh. One, me and her, not at all. Oh, so she was waiting for an opportunity like right, this. Because I refused to be manipulated by her and she's yeah. really good at that. Ah. Um, was she controlling or manipulative or both? Both. Okay. Um, so I refused that and she wanted she disliked the fact that we moved away from California 
Oh, this is a way to get her daughter back. Right. And she'd been through a relationship where she felt like there was, you know, that I had a temper and maybe I could hurt her. Right. It was just, it was, it was a perfect storm of everything. And Charlotte being in the midst of postpartum didn't know what to think. Okay. And you, how old are you now? 56. Okay. Let's have the 56 year old Robert Snow go back to this kid who just barely stomped on a set of cabinets and who now wonders what's wrong with him because apparently there is something wrong with him because mother-in-law is trying to take away his wife. What advice do you give him? I don't know. I think 56-year-old me says that there's there's some perspective. 56-year-old me wouldn't have been very happy with 25-year-old me marrying my daughter at 18, 19. Uh-huh. Right? I wouldn't have liked the way I presented myself. I was respectful. Uh-huh. But I was I was I was not beholden to anyone at that point in time. I had my own job, I had my own money, I had my own car, I had my own apartment. Uh-huh. Didn't need anybody to tell me what I could and couldn't do. Right. I was all grown up. I knew what I could do. If I wanted to go somewhere, I did it. If I wanted to, if I wanted to buy something, I bought it. If I wanted to go to work, I, I did it. So I was very much independent. And so when that, that puts a completely different spin on you have your 18, 19 year old daughter dating this guy who just says, Oh, nice to meet you. Thanks very much. Well, I think you should. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. Thank you though. Uh-huh. I'll have her, you want her back at midnight. I will have her back at midnight. I was always respectful. I always followed the rules. Not like I didn't, but you could always tell that I wasn't, I wasn't going to do everything they wanted me to do. She wanted me to do. Okay. So how old were you when you busted up the cabinets? What what year was that? How old? That was 94. Okay. End of, end of 94. What was that? 18 years ago? 28 years ago? 20, yeah. 27, 28 years ago. The, uh, the Robert Snow 28 years ago is going Maybe there is something wrong with me. Yeah. You get five minutes to tell him something. Yeah, I think, I think maybe this, I'm going to tell him the same thing that I've, that I've come to was that, you know, you, you don't want to be perceived as that person. Like, uh-huh. like do you, you know, do you want to be perceived as a person who is, who is always angry, always violent, people who can't trust you to be calm? Or do you want to be perceived as somebody who's level-headed, who can, um, you know, manage stress and situations without flying off the handle. And I, and that's the person I wanted to be later. I just, I figured that out and I could always say, well, that's an excuse, but it's complicated by the fact that I worked on job sites and we yelled at each other and flew off the handle nonstop. It was, that was, that was how you did things. You know, you're always yelling at somebody like it was just so fast. Like somebody backed in the wrong driveway, you're screaming and cussing and telling him to get the crap out of there. Uh-huh. And that he's an idiot with some expletive deleteds there, you know? <laughs> and that was the way that you handled everything. There just wasn't any time to be nice. And so I probably brought that whole environment back to myself. And, and maybe I'd become less stressed when I got out of construction or less volatile, maybe is a better answer. My mom once said to me, she felt like we didn't come to her or we didn't seek her advice. Mm-hmm. And my answer to her at the time was, if you make us independent at 13 and 14, because at 14, I bought my own school clothes. Uh-huh. If you make me independent at 13 and 14, then we'll be independent. Then we'll be independent. And so I have spent so much time being independent that seeking advice from 
during traumatic situations. And I have, because I was thinking about seeking advice. So I remember good friends are those kind of friends that can talk to you uh-huh. in a way that no one else can talk to you. Right. And I had my two good friends from, from college, from before we got married. They're both best men at the wedding. And, and I remember calling one of them when I was talking about leaving construction and going back to going to school and finishing my doctorate degree in physical therapy. And, um, his, my friend's name, Ray. And so I called him one day. I said, Ray, dude, I need some advice. And so maybe this is a traumatic, it was maybe not as traumatic, but it was a shift, like thinking about leaving this whole career that I'd built in construction behind, Uh like completely just turn my back on it, let my license expire the whole thing, which had, you know, which is hard, right? You study for the exam, you take the exam, you start your business, you build your business, you work in the business, and then you leave that whole licensure and everything behind the business name and everything. So I said to him, I said, look, I'm not sure what I should do. And I, I want to talk to you. And so this is probably to your point about where you get this advice. But I said, like, there's this thought that I should go back to school, but I won't graduate with my doctorate degree until I'm 36 or 37. Mm-hmm. And I had the number at the time. Let's just call it 37. Okay. And he's like, well, I have a thought for you. If you're thinking about this, I'm like, sure. I'm all ears. She's like, why don't you wait another year? And you can be 38 when you graduate. Dumbass. <laughs> and you might have to edit that out but that's exactly what, that was a direct quote and i'm like so i should do it then and he goes do i have to tell you again and i'm like no he's like dude you hate construction and i didn't like construction um i wasn't i was okay at it but uh-huh. I, I wasn't killing it you know um it was a it was a scrap nonstop for me and um yeah so that was that's the kind of advice that you get from real so friends. So you were able to go to him for for career advice. Yeah, and life advice. Like I think I'd talked to he was there. It was funny. He was there visiting us. He and his wife were there visiting the day we found out Charlotte was pregnant with our first. So he's sort of been there for he was there when I got married. He was there. He gave the toast. He was my best man at the wedding reception. Mm-hmm. Um and he, and oddly enough, he was there when I, when we found out she came home with the ultrasound and they had just been, they had, oddly enough, they'd been staying there. And you ever had uh, Charlotte or one of your kids have a uh, major disease, cancer, your mother or one of your siblings, something that's life threatening? Yeah. I mean, I've, I had that. Yeah. That, that happened not too long ago, actually with our daughter. So we could do a whole nother conversation about. Okay. Depression in teens and suicidal ideation and stuff. But let's go down this suicidal ideation road. Yeah. Let's say that you were to find out that your daughter was thinking of suicide. She was. Okay. Not only found out, she had a plan. And, and I will tell you that anybody who's listening, the hardest words to ask your kids are, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Right. Right. And, they, and they'll say yes or no. And you say, do you have a plan? And if they say, yes, I have a plan, that is when you intervene. And so she had a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, she had found one of my rifles and found one bullet cause I thought I locked everything up. And one was at the one twenty two round was locked, was rolling around in a box somewhere in storage. And she found the one round a 22, a 22. She had the rifle. I thought, so the, the 22 was unloaded and the clip was gone. And I assumed that made the rifle unusable. So I didn't worry about locking it up cause it was a 22. All right. And so she had it under her bed and she had a bullet. So she had a plan. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the listeners will, uh, will start to identify here because they'll have a plan. There was a time in my life when I had a plan. Yeah. And that's when, you know, and so we took her to the emergency room. She was 
she wasn't talking to us, you know, fairly traumatic, took her to the emergency room. They decided to admit her, so we got her into a treatment facility, and, and I came home, and Charlotte went somewhere else, and I, and you've been in my house, and, mm-hmm. and uh, in that little bench, just as you come in from the garage door, I just sat on the bench and cried. And that's and it's funny because Charlotte hasn't seen that too often. She just said, "I just I didn't even know what to do with you." You and you let Charlotte see you cry. Yeah, yeah. She saw it. I couldn't. I was just sobbing. I, who who else did you let see you cry? Was it the only two people at home? I think Dallin was off at a friend's. Who else did you talk to? Of uh, maybe of a male persuasion? Actually, just who else did you talk to? Nobody. 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 No other males. Definitely no other females. Nope. You can't talk to other females. No. I didn't even talk to my business partner at the time about it. He knew something was wrong, but I couldn't talk to him about it. And that is why we have the podcast. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I couldn't. And you know what? Part of it was shame because I felt for the I felt for the longest time that it was my fault that I hadn't been there enough for her, that I wasn't enough. And that has taken some work on my end. And, and Charla's end as well, it's taken, us, it's taken us some work and some time to understand that, A, you just have to be willing to intervene, right? I think at first we're just like, this is not really happening. Like, this is not really happening. This is not really happening. And then all of a sudden it was happening. And now, and since that time she was younger, she's much, much better. She hasn't had, I think maybe she's had one, one episode since. And that was, I think she was 14 or 15. So like only one time since where she said, you know, I'm, I'm starting to make a plan, right? Only one time. And that's good in the world of oppression and, and those types of things. So grateful for her. And, and the, you know, there's always types of things you have to watch out for. But Let's list four guys that maybe you could have gone to. He's one of them. Yeah, and you and I weren't that close of friends by then. I didn't know. Had we, I don't even know if we'd gone to Marysville yet. If we had it, it had only been the one time. So Got it. each of these, like those two events, like, I mean, I worked for, I worked for 16 years for the same company in San Diego. I had really good friends there. I had really good friends who I would have probably, yeah, I would have probably called one of my friends and just said, I need a talk or I need something. But, right. But yeah. now that you, now, since you moved across states, even though you could pick up a phone, you didn't feel yeah, like, I didn't. why we, not? We, this is, this is that super vulnerable. This is as vulnerable yeah. as I'm going to ask you to get. Yeah. I don't know why. I think again, I think, I think for me, it was I, like, I think, you know, initially I thought that it was me. And so let's, you know, let's not beat around the bush when it comes to being vulnerable. Like my mom had bipolar and depression, uh-huh. right? My daughter I don't think that she's been diagnosed as clinical depression, but just, I guess so. You know her. Yeah. Yeah. She has that. And it'll, it gets me a little bit sometimes, like where I start to feel like it's, everything is my fault, like that kind of a thing. Right. I don't ever get into the, I'm worthless or I'm not deserving to be here on this planet kind of a thing. So I've never fallen that far, Uh but I think sometimes I just, I think, I think when like with her that happened, I'm like, maybe this is my fault. Maybe I'm the one that, you know, maybe this is just showing up in my life the way it showed up in my mom's life and, and the way my sister is developing. So, you know, how do you tell one of your friends? You're like, well, uh, you know, I, I think my daughter's got a problem and I'm pretty sure it's my fault. You know, like, Let's... I don't know that I had any unconditional friends here. Okay. Like friends. And even my business partner, David was a good friend of mine, but 
<clears throat> we had not, we had not been, um, we'd only been business partners for maybe half a year. We'd been friends for a long time, but we'd been separated for like seven years. Right. I and mean, he'd been here in Utah and I'd been in California. So while we were still good friends, we weren't, you know, let me tell you all the stories about my life friends yeah. back then. Now I probably would have called him right out of the gate and said, I don't know what to do, but that's the reason why we're doing this podcast is, uh, from my point of view, at least, uh, women, if they're having a moment with, uh, their daughter, let's see, maybe that we'll use this example. Daughter is suicidal. Women will have 40 friends they can go to. Yeah. Men, zero. I want to hold up my uh, fingers, but this is audio, so I guess yeah. I better not do that. Zero. What do we do about that? I don't know. I know that um, I was watching another podcast, and um, and I think I might have mentioned it in a previous episode. It was interesting about where men, you know, where we are in this world and our, and our position. Um, we actually don't want to be seen as weak. We're not comfortable sharing our emotions. We're not comfortable being seen as vulnerable and being seen as weak. And neither one. Do you want to be seen as weak? Uh, no. Yeah, me neither. Right. And so, at so vulnerability is a different animal. And Brene Brown will talk about that. But um, but being vulnerable actually means being strong. Right. To be able to admit your weakness and where you need help. Right. That is an indication of strength. But I think as guys, we still worry that somebody that we trust because there's always been somebody in our life, usually when we're in school who we thought we trusted with our feelings, who turned on us. Yeah. Always, right. especially in school. Yeah. Especially I mean, in school and start... burned and burned us down as we probably burnt somebody else down. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. We're not faultless in this situation. We made fun of somebody's hair when, you know, when they know that they had lice and they had to have it shaved off and we told the world we're no longer friends with them. I, I don't, that's not a, a perfect example for me, but you know, I'm sure I hurt somebody's feelings in well, a way where they thought they trusted me with their... It was reinforced to us a thousand times, don't cry. And uh, when you do cry and you're in front of especially dudes, even if they're six, I'm going to use your term, you get burned down. Yep. And that doesn't change when you're 60. Nope. It doesn't. It doesn't. And that's, and that's hard. And then, and so the question is, where do you find those friends you can cry with? Where do you find those friends you can cry with? You know, I don't have that answer either. <laughs> Put that on the to-do list. <laughs> That's the title of a book. Let's write that book. Where do you find the friends you can cry with? What do we need to do to change that, you and me? I don't know. But I think, it. it you know, that whole thing is interwoven in you know, because we've talked about, I do a lot of work with marriage as well. And I think that's the lack of being vulnerable with our spouses at times creates a, a brick wall and they don't understand why, why we mm -hmm. can't be vulnerable. They just want us to be in touch with our feelings. We're like, you know, I don't have feelings. Like I feel with these things. These are my fingers yeah. I'm holding up. Like, how do you feel? I feel with my fingers. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I've used that line too. I yeah. said, I don't, I don't have feelings. I'm an engineer. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, how do you find, I don't know. I honestly, I don't have the answer, but I think that your real friends, I think as you get a little bit older, you just start to realize you can do things. Now, I will tell you, I can, yeah, I I can cry. I can cry with my brother-in-law and I can cry with my father-in-law. Can you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah. I've, no I've cried with my father-in-law. Not a chance for me. Yeah. My father-in-law is, so you haven't asked me about father figures, but he's mine. Yeah. If I want, if I can be 10% of the father he is the supposed violent one that my mother-in-law 
Uh huh. Yeah, he's the one who's been there. He's been the most. He's been the rock for that family, and continues to be, even nice. though he's in twenty four seven care right now. He's still well. Then he's still the guy. Lucky. Yeah. yeah, my dad never no way. Uh, we didn't really even have conversations much until. I didn't even know he could carry a conversation until he was pushing ninety. Yeah, you told me that. Yeah, that's and, that's sad. Yeah, and yeah, so we both um, grew up without a dad. My daddy in law. Yeah, no way. I was too worried about whether he would approve of me. And I know, right? And yeah, I'm not going to go to him. And my <laughs> my brother, no, yeah, <laughs> not a chance. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, and it's hard. Like, I bet I could cry with Garth. That would be good. Yeah, yeah I probably could cry with you. Probably could cry with John, um, Todd Nelson. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to find that. I think I think you just got to get people. I think even you find those people where you realize that they're not the same as the rest of the world, where they start to feel emotion a little differently, mm-hmm. and and also where you don't. Ah, here's a good one. Actually, I think I probably could. I I have cried with my my neighbor across the street. I was thinking about him. I was like, it's got to be somebody. It's got to be somebody you could take your shirt off in front of, uh huh, as a dude, and know that you're not going to get the bro have a salad. <laughs> you know, I actually did that once too. I had one neighbor across the street. Now that you mentioned that, Ron Saltmarsh, coolest dude in the universe, yeah. musician. I, I love musicians. I don't know why, but, uh, he, I had, was having a very bad day, uh, once it was a bad day and I stumbled across the street and I fell in his arms. Yeah. Yeah. And now that you mentioned that, yeah, I've, I've had that moment once. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've, I mean, I've cried with my neighbor, mostly him crying about his relationships, but we shared that and, and, and I can take off my shirt around him, you know, let yeah. it all hang out. It don't matter on the boat. Nobody's got no judgment. Right. And I think once you get to that point where, where there's less judgment and more love, mm-hmm. so how do you find those people? Right. We're going to, I'm going to keep pushing in to answer that question. How do we find that? Right. How do you find the people you can cry with? You can always cry with girls, but that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't share that part of your heart. And and maybe that's why we're locked up. That's an interesting question. Go yeah, I mean, is that an interesting question? Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. You know, you can you can cry on Charlotte's lap, but what if Charlotte is involved in it? You can't go to her, and if you can't go to Charlotte, you're not going to any other woman. No, you can't. Yeah. So you're down to dudes, and we're all we're all kind of, kind of hopeless. Yeah, I mean, girls have it so lucky on that aspect. Right, right. They get to cry in each other's arms, right? Because they'll just like come over and hug you and cry with you and all kinds of stuff. The guys will be like, "Bro, you gonna be okay? Wanna watch TV? <laughs> hurry up and be okay." Because... Yeah, hurry up and be okay because like this this awkwardness is killing me. <laughs> Let's watch TV, right? Let's just watch something so that you can just cry silently and I can sit here and I don't have to talk to you. I turn it up really loud. You cry softly over there. Have some chips, dude. It's great. If you were the ruler of the universe, let's throw this one out here, and you could say, "All right, men." Uh, you must do the following as relates to talking, communicating. You get to issue, you're, uh, I, I'm your magic genie. You, you get to issue one direct wish uh, for men. I would say it either has to be that men stop reserving a part of themselves 
for the fight and give that part to their spouses. They need to give themselves 100% to that relationship emotionally and be completely invested and not hold a small portion back just in case. I get that. For me, any relationship, marriage or not, it becomes kind of a two-sided stepladder. I feel like I'll take one step. If she matches it, I'll take another. And if she matches that, then up the ladder we both go together. Until somebody does something sideways or breaks trust or whatever, and then I go down and then she goes down, and that's kind of how it flows. So you're saying don't hold back. Go go all in. Yeah, I'm saying go all in. And I see that with, with the couples we work with, with as well. We, I think people are always, they're always reserving something. And you know, here's the thing, and, and if there's any gals listening to this, here's the deal that your husband has. Um, when they're out in the world, their armor is on. We're fully, we're fully kitted up to take the kick in the nuts, the punch to the face, the shot to our feelings, for people to call us names, for people to tell us we're not enough and we're not good enough. When we come home, we want to take our armor off. We want to take our armor off because we want to know that we're safe. And we want to know that we're safe, that we're not going to take any shots. And if we take our armor off, if we're willing to give us our whole selves to the other side of the relationship and take our armor off, then we're going to give you trust. And you can't, you can't treat us the way you would treat somebody else outside under the guy, the neighbor, the guy at work, the grocery store. You have to treat us as the person that can get hurt the most by your words. And, and I told this to Charlotte and, you know, share this. It's not going to be any surprise. No one can hurt me the way you hurt me. No one. Because no one else actually has that power. I give her that power. Right. To have my heart, to have my soul, to know my most, to know my weakest areas. And I take off my armor and I trust. I trust that I'm not going to get kicked in the nuts or hit with a pan or shot with an arrow. And when you do, that is pretty devastating. It is. And then, and then the armor stays on and the armor stays on. And then, and then the women in our lives, our spouses say he's distant. Right. I don't feel like I can connect with him. That's because guns up. Yeah. Armor's on guns. Armor's armor's on guns are loaded. I'm just waiting for you. Like you want to pick a fight. It's great. I do this all day long at work. Uh Right. I jockey back and forth with the guys all day long. Call them, call them all kinds of names, call each other names. We go home. We have friends. We're fun. Right. We do it at home. And then you're no, you're, you're nothing more than a conquest. And if, and if we end up having sex, then it's just a conquest. Just one more. Right. Thing, right. And so didn't mean to make it into that because that's not what this conversation is, but well, my, my, maybe it is, maybe it is. But my feeling really is, is you got to go all in. You have to be willing to go all in. You got to be willing to give it all up and trust. But when you do that, that's when the connection happens. And speaking of vulnerable, my, it doesn't get more vulnerable than that. You go all in and you hope that that's frightening. And you're climbing the ladder by yourself, Garth. <laughs> Fear of heights. Then I think you need to pick a different metaphor. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the point, right? You got to climb the ladder. You got to go all in and know that the person that you're with, by the way, oftentimes that, you know, them seeing you put all your chips all in causes them to be all in because they, they know when we're holding back. And you know what? I did that once. 
I was advised to go all in and uh, give my ex-wife everything that she wanted. And I did. And I feared what was going to happen would happen, and it did. And that was when I knew the marriage was over. Yeah. So, hey, at least you get to know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you work with marriages. Yes. Yeah. You just barely, your Costa Rica thing was a marriage thing. Yes. Yeah, that was great fun. Any guys, uh, did you talk to them? Did you get an opportunity to talk to them about if they felt like they were daddy ATM or if they were to be sent off to the side or they had roommate syndrome? Roommate syndrome is, is we're teammates. We're not a marriage anymore. Yeah. So uh, yes and yes and all of that. And, and, you know, if you're coming to the, like, if you're willing to invest the time and energy um, and resources into, you know, one of those retreats, then, you know, you're going to work on, um, so we have a, a pre-survey takes about an hour for each person to, um, to fill out. And it gives us an idea about where the friction areas are. Uh Um, and luckily enough, the tools that we provide during this, are really we start with just build, building connection and we talk and there's tons of research because we use Gottman, the Gottman system, tons of research on, on how responding to connection is so important it's called responding to bids for connection. Dr. Gottman, he spent seven years just studying disagreements in couples, just, just that alone. Not, a, not only the other domains that kind of built around the whole system, but, and with those tools, they can predict after watching a 10 minute, 10 to 15 minute conversation between the the couple, they can predict how well the marriage is going to do. They got about a 94% predictability rate. Uh-huh. And when I say how well the marriage is going to do, because they followed marriages for 35 years now, they know the ones that survived and they know their scores. And so we like that system because it has very high predictability. And you know, me being a numbers guy and the scientist in me, I love that stuff. So Yes, there are, there are those conversations about, you know, the roommate syndrome and all that. Um, and, and I think it really just in the, in the couples that we had, we had three that were like, you know, over 20 years and then one that was like eight years, Uh like four years. So it was interesting to have some newlyweds there plus some other, I mean, they're married four or five years, but they're still newlyweds for the rest of us that have been married for 20, 30 years, right? But it's interesting to just see it was, I think probably my favorite thing about that was just to watch them because we would present some information, give them some worksheets. They'd have to go off for 15, 30 minutes and work on specifically either learning how to connect or learning how to um, learn anything we call um, their love map, the types of things, which is different than love language. So they learn their love map and, and just begin to learn about each other over and over again. And that learning about each other part was really interesting because you see them come back and, and they're sitting on the couch closer together and they're holding hands and, you know, sharing pens and they start a little bit farther apart and then, you know, they slowly just keep coming together. And, and, uh, so it was fun. It was fun to watch the connections build amongst those couples. Um, and, and even just, you know, help them manage some, you know, manage some of the things that they're working on. And, and probably one, probably the, the favorite, least favorite, um, thing that I debated, um, with, with Charlotte about was including the component of about 68 to 70% of disagreements in relationships are what they call perpetual disagreements. You're going to disagree about the same thing time and time and time again. And for Charlotte and I, it's about our youngest son. 
I want one thing for him and she wants something else for him. And we're always going to disagree with that. But, but if you find a way to figure out the areas that you can compromise on, instead of just making a global picture, you'll, you'll actually realize that there's, there's lots of ways to agree on, on how these situations work. And we help people process the thing called a regrettable incident. And so there used to be a porch swing. It was up for about a week or two uh-huh. and, okay. it, and it's down. Um, and that was, um, and that was, that was a year ago, but I think you remember, right. Cause we were on the back patio during that. Um, and you know, it's interesting how the whole thing happened. You know, she wanted it, I installed it and then she got mad about it and we had a, we had an argument over it. And the fun part was just live in front of people. We demonstrated how to process a regrettable incident and understand what the triggers were behind that. Let's so regrettable incidents is something that, uh, I think, you call it an argument, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's something a, where you both said something that you weren't happy with. We, right. call, we call that processing a regrettable. So the podcast is for men, but I think there will be any number of women who are going to listen in because they want to know how their man ticks. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I think man or woman, whoever the listener is, they're probably going to have uh, some regrettable incidents with their spouse. We all do. How do they get a hold of you? Oh, geez. Um, I know we put it in the show notes, right? They could email me or you want me just to well, just put it right in here. Um, Robert M is in Mary Snow at gmail.com. Okay. Website. It's changing. The Art of Masterful Marriages or something. I think I think mas- Masterful Marriage, I think, is the website we just secured for that. Hey, thank you for listening to this Manalizing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalizing. Manalizing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalizing.com. Thank you.